Father, we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. We thank you that the entrance of your word truly does bring light, Lord, and that there is the, the goodness of God that we see as we, as we listen to the word, as we read the word. Uh, Father, we know that you're going to go in and you're going to speak into our hearts in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, that at this, at this time as we celebrate the, uh, the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that people all over the world, Father, are being mindful and perhaps being even, in, even introduced to the reality of the risen Lord and the risen Savior. And we pray for that even here today. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would see and that the ears of our hearts would hear what it is that you are saying to us, Lord. And uh, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we're going to go to chapter 2. And we're going to read something pretty exciting. At the beginning of the church, at the, the birth of the church, the early church, uh, there was an, an amazing moment that um, God pretty much intervened into humanity. And it was the very first time that uh, the kingdom of heaven had ever come within a person, in, inside a human being. And so we had this incredible moment where the Spirit of God has come upon a whole group of people who've been praying and fasting and just seeking God for about 10 days now. And they were up in this, what the Bible calls an upper room. And they were there and they were praying. And they were waiting. They didn't quite know what they were waiting for. We can read and we see exactly what they were waiting for, but they didn't know. They just were told, wait. Jesus had told them, go and wait in in Jerusalem. In fact, it was in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. It says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave the city until you receive what what the Father has promised. And so they go and he says, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. And so they're waiting. They're waiting for something to happen. And so as they're waiting there, of course, if you've, gone, if you've ever read those scriptures, it talks about how the, the Spirit of God just came and enveloped these people, and they began to speak in all these different languages. And in, in fact, they spoke in languages that the people around them could understand. So you see people speaking in tongues, and you see people interpreting tongues all at the one time. And it was amazing because it was like this outpouring, this deluge of the presence of God and the power of God onto humanity. God did not make a quiet entrance. He didn't make it. He didn't just slip in the back door onto earth. He went, bang, here I am. The Holy Spirit said, here I am. Let's grab a whole bunch of people. It's about 120, the Bible says. And it came upon their lives. And it was so intense and so powerful. In fact, the Bible says that they could see tongues of fire on their heads. That's how powerful it was. There was this grand entrance of the Spirit of God invading humanity for the very first time. And, um, and that, that's why Jesus said that the kingdom of God will be within you because he came and he invaded humanity and took over their hearts and gave them a new heart like had been prophesied in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and all the different places that in Ezekiel talking about this new heart that God would give to humanity, causing them, giving them a desire to actually walk in his will and in his statutes, a new heart, a heart of flesh. And he, he promised that he would take away the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and a soft heart that would desire the things of God. And so this was the grand entrance, the beginning of the early church. And so we see this character called Peter. He, he comes in and he stands up in front of all these people and he begins to declare the truth and begins to preach what we would call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he stands up this incredible man of phenomenal boldness. And this is what he says, beginning in chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter... Taking his stand with the eleven, 
raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And and then he begins to quote the prophecy, and this is what it says. And it shall be in the last days, God says. Now remember the last days doesn't just mean the last few two or three days. Days in God's time, one day can mean a thousand years. So in in other words, in the last era of the earth. In In the last days, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Wow, what an incredible invitation into destiny. So he's standing up there basically saying, listen, you, you probably all thought that these people were drunk because the Spirit of God had come on them in such power that their appearance was as somebody who was drunk. I don't know if anyone here has felt drunk in the Holy Spirit. Anyone here felt that? I have absolutely. I've rolled around drunk. And I used to get drunk before I was a Christian. And this is a way better drunk feeling. Uh, When you get drunk in the Holy Spirit, you don't have a hangover for one thing. And you don't feel sick like throwing up. Um, You feel exhilarated. And so this is a real thing. So when I read that, I don't kind of think, oh, that's kind of weird. Why Why are they talking about that? No, I get that. I get that. I've been, in, I've been in meetings where I've been on the ground and under the chair and uh, unable to get up and falling down. My legs have gone wobbly underneath me and I, I feel the presence of God in my body that I can barely stand because he is so powerful. And so this is what had just happened. The Holy Spirit had come and invaded a whole group of people and Peter's standing up and saying, they're not drunk. I know you think they are. I know they act like it's only nine in the morning. They haven't been on the juice. It's okay. They haven't been on the booze. They're just, the Holy Spirit has come on. This is what was promised. This is why this is good news. Because he's saying, you know, this is what was promised. It it was going to come in the last days. The Spirit of God was going to be poured out unto all mankind, unto every human being that that would receive of it. He was going to do it. And he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? It means to be able to hear something from God and then be able to speak it out. I think all of humanity is hungry for that. I was before I became a Christian. I went to clairvoyance. I went to palm readers. I went to automatic writers. There was something in me. I read my fortune. I read my horoscope that my mum faithfully bought for me every single year since I was a little girl at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, I would, I would want, there's something in human beings that want to know the future, or want to know that they are significant. Is that true? They want to know that they matter and that there's a destiny, there's something in line for them. Is that right? That's what we all want. We, we all hunger for that. So this is the beginning of that promise being fulfilled. And he's saying, your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. They'll be able to hear from God and they'll be able to speak out for God. Now, you've got to understand, in context, this is pretty weird. This is, he's speaking to the Jews. He, he is a Jew. Peter is a Jew. The ones that have been waiting in the upper room are Jews. They don't know that they're going to be called Christians yet. They're Jews, right? And they've met their Mashiach, their Messiah. And he's preaching to Jews, and he's basically saying there's going to be a whole generation that will fulfill what was prophesied in Joel. And they know the Scriptures. The Jews know. The people that are listening actually know these verses and these Scriptures and go, Really? Is this what's happening right now? 
They're thinking, man, this is pretty incredible because up until now, it was only a select few that were actually called prophets in the house of Israel. There were only a few that were allowed to be the ones to be able to prophesy and declare what God was saying. But now we have a, a, a fulfillment of a scripture that is saying all of your sons and daughters will prophesy. And not only that, but your young men will see visions, things that are supernatural that come from God. And your old men will dream dreams. There will be things that will supernaturally come from the Spirit of God. Up until then, it was, the Bible says it was the hand of God. Well, the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, it's another name for the hand of God, will come upon the prophets, will come upon people. And that would have felt amazing, but he never lived within them. He never, he never actually dwelt within their spirit man because they weren't able to be born of the Spirit, which is now what is, about to ha- which is, now what is happening at the, early, the beginning of the early church. And so this is profound that he's daring to say to a whole bunch of Jews, this is it. You know, this is a guy who was a fisherman, by the way, and he's speaking to scholars, he's speaking to people who know their scriptures, he's speaking to learned people, he's got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all sorts of people there. And he's he's having the boldness, he spoke like a Galilean, he was probably pretty rough around the edges, He, he was a fisherman, that was his background, he hadn't been trained in the synagogue and all the teachings, but he has the audacity now to stand up, he's so bold, and he says, this is it. This is what's happening. And then he goes on in verse 18. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women. You talk about gender equality, it's right here. You talk about gender unity, it's right here. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Wow, and then it goes on. Let's go down to verse 22. Men of Israel. Listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, talking about Jesus, obviously, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. So he's boldly declaring this. And then he goes on in verse, let's go down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. Like, he's not mincing his words. He's not being politically correct. He's not preaching a nice little lifestyle sermon here. He's not kind of thinking, how can I be seeker sensitive and do this in a way that's kind of, kind of just going to sort of edge them over the line and help them see that, you know. No, no. He says, let it be known. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain There's no gray area here. Peter's absolute in what he is saying. That God has made him both Lord and Christ. Woo! Up until then, it was like he's the Lord. Sorry, he's the Savior, the Christ, the anointed one, the Mashiach. But now he's saying he's not just that, he's Lord. And Lord means he's master over everything. He has complete control over everything everything. He's the master of it all. And then he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. You talk about bold. You talk about gutsy. He's, he's, he's totally laying it on the, the line. The boldness coming from this man is phenomenal. And uh, 
The transformation is phenomenal. When you look back at the backstory of Peter, and you might say to me, well, Diane, he's one of the apostles. Of course he's like that. Of course he's bold. He was so bold, in fact, that he, when he was killed for his faith and he was crucified, but he, <coughs> pardon me, he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way as my Lord and my master Jesus. He didn't feel worthy enough for that. So he asked to be crucified upside down. Wow. And we all go, how, how is that even possible? Where does that kind of boldness and that kind of surrender come from? So his transformation was pretty complete. When you die upside down on a cross because you feel like it's, that's the, um, uh, the way to really honour your, your saviour. But I want to look at something here because Peter, yeah, he was an apostle. Yeah, we read those stories and go, yeah, well, they were the apostles. It was a special grace at that time, a special move of God. It was just something amazing. But I want us to look at something that actually happened only seven weeks earlier, all right? Let's go to uh, Matthew twenty six sixty nine. Matthew twenty six sixty nine, And we're going to see a different kind of Peter here. This is a slightly different Peter. This is him around a campfire in a courtyard. And it was a pretty tense moment. Jesus had been arrested and it was all pretty profound. The disciples were terrified, wondering what the heck was going on. It was all a big mess. And this is, we pick it up now in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it. Okay, so this is Peter, seven weeks earlier. Can we all remember what we were doing seven weeks ago? I reckon if we looked up the date, went to our calendars, it would be pretty easy to recall, yeah? So this isn't that long ago. But he denied it, verse 70. He denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him, and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. In fact, in other, in other translations, it says he cursed. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too were one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. There you go, there's that Galilean accent. Then he began to curse and to swear. I do not know the man. Whew. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, how do we have that picture of Peter there? And seven weeks later, we have the, the Peter that I just read about at the beginning. We're not talking about seven years later where he's already been to Bible college, he's got his master's, he's done his PhD in how to be bold and stand up for your faith. He hasn't done an evangelism course. He hasn't, he hasn't got done DMS and learned how to know who he is in Christ yet. He, has, he hasn't done any of those things. Seven weeks, something has happened to this man. When we see this story here, when we, when we read the story in Matthew, and you can read the other accounts in Mark and uh, in Luke, I believe it is, it's all saying the same thing. The details are a little bit muddy and messy, but basically the essence is exactly the same story. And you see that he, this is the ultimate in self-preservation. You see a picture of a man who is the ultimate in protecting uh, 
himself. He felt like he was in an unsafe environment. His first response is, what is good for me? How can I protect myself? He goes into self-preservation. He goes into denial. First of all, he's lying to himself. He's not taking ownership at all about what really is the truth. He's telling lies and he's gripped by fear. There's an incredible fear. And he's messing up the whole reality of actually what's happened in his life and who he really is. And he's standing there with these little servant girls and a couple of big brutish Galileans probably around him or guys from Jerusalem. And they're, they're saying, hang on, we, I'm pretty sure you were with him. And he doesn't have the courage to be able to stand up and say because the self-preservation is so strong on him. So I find it amazing that here's this man over here. We've got, this is before the cross. So let's pretend that that line there is the cross. And we've got this campfire situation where he's terrified and he's fearful and there's complete self-preservation on every angle, on every level. It's all about me. It's all about what's going to look, look after me, number one. He's forgotten. He's just walked with Jesus for three or three and a half years. He's seen miracle after miracle. He's even been used by Jesus. Jesus sent them out two by two in the 70s, then he said the, the disciples out there were seeing miracles, they were seeing demons come out of people, they were seeing the dead raise the lame walk, it's all, it's all in the gospel because you can find it and read it. They were coming back to Jesus saying, this is amazing, even the demons are subject to us. And he says, just be thankful that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, he's getting things straight in their, in their minds and in their lives. So this is a guy who's not, uh, he, he's, he's not unfamiliar with the power of Jesus. And yet here he is, stripped from Jesus, stripped from his mates, stripped from all the other disciples, stripped from the 70, stripped from the, the, the 12, stripped from the, from the three, and it's just him now. And he's standing there absolutely terrified, completely protecting himself, lying in that way to do it. And then seven weeks later, we come through the cross, and here's this man that stands up here. And I love the heart of God. This is the heart of God, the love of Jesus and the power of God. There's so many things we can learn about from this story. Jesus could have chosen anyone to preach on that first day to birth the church. He chose a man who seven weeks earlier had denied him. He actually chose someone who was terrified and pretty gutless and standing up for truth. In fact, he and 10 of the other disciples were too scared to be at the cross when Jesus died. It was only John the Beloved that actually went to, the Bible calls him John the Beloved, that went to the, the cross and was at the feet of Jesus when he died on the cross. So they were all terrified. And yet it was Peter who, after denying Jesus seven weeks earlier, was the one that God chose to get up and give the first sermon. What what an invitation to destiny. What a powerful in invitation to freedom and to life. And this man stands up. You don't even see a hint of that guy over there. You don't, even, you don't smell a whiff of what's, go, what's gone on in his background. There's no sense of guilt. There's no sense of condemnation. There's no sense of, you know, I need to, I'm, I'm so horrible. I'm pathetic. I denied Jesus. Clearly he's the son of God. There's no sense of, I've done, you know, I'm, I'm such a horrible person. He's standing here now and he's declaring with phenomenal boldness the reality of what's happened at the cross. So we see something powerful, something transitional when we go through the cross. 
And this is why in DMS, our Discipleship Ministry School, for those of you who are new and don't know what we're talking about, we start and we end with the cross because everything that we need for life and godliness is in the reality of what happened at the cross. That's where it all happened. Everything that we need. So what I want to ask us today is which side of the cross are we living on? Which side of the cross are you and I living on? Self-preservation resulted in him denying who Jesus really was in his life. And I wonder whether sometimes self-preservation in our own life result in us actually really denying who Jesus really is in our lives and running from his power to truly transform us? Or is it self-denial? So we see a picture of the the guy over here is self-preservation, denying who Jesus really was in his life. But then we see over here the power of the resurrected life. And we see um, the reality of self-denial. He stands up there, and not only is he preaching with boldness, but he's saying to all the guys, if you think about it, they were the ones that would have crucified him, that would have crucified Jesus. They were the crowd that he was standing in and saying, this is the Jesus whom you crucified. They, probably, they were probably the, even the, the guards and the executioners were possibly standing in that crowd, the very ones who nailed those nails into Jesus and put that crown of thorns into his head were probably in that crowd. And yet now there's no self-preservation. Now there's, he's completely stripped of any sense of protecting himself. And I feel like sometimes we as Christians, we mentally ascend to the power. And we want to live in the power. And we say, I want to live in the power. I want to live in the, in the resurrected life. I want to live, and I believe that I'm meant to live this resurrected life. But I believe what happens experientially so often, we're still back here. We're still back on this side of the cross. We say, yes, I believe it. I come to church. Hey, I sing. The cross has the final word. I yell. I put my hands up in Melbourne life. So I know that that's, I, this is where I am. But experientially, I'm really over here. I'm walking in self-preservation. I'm walking in fear. I'm walking in even denial of who he really is in my life and what he has done. And yet Jesus said, come on, I want you to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Walk with me. Live this life. And so I want to say to us this morning and ask the question, which side of the cross are we living on? Come on, which side are we experiencing? Are we experiencing the resurrected power of Jesus? Are we experiencing the the freedom that only he can bring? We have to have an expectation for the risen life. We have to have that kind of expectation. I know this sounds kind of corny, but Peter traded one fire for another fire. It kind of did, right? I know it's kind of corny and simplistic, but he, this was the fire that he was around and he's denying, and then he let the fire of God come on him. Like, this is the life, this is the lifestyle that God is inviting us into. How many of you DMS students, like last Sunday morning, I thought the roof was going to lift off in the praise and worship, yeah? You know why? Because you were all on this side of the cross. Do you get that? Something had freed you up. There was a liberty. But this is what's going to happen. Let me explain to you, everybody, what's going to happen. Life is what's going to happen. And you're going to start to sort of come back here and you'll be going, yay, 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 yay. Yeah, 
know, the cross, yeah, has the final word. Oh, God, the cross, it has to have the final word. And you're back over here. You're on this side of the cross. Because we're not really allowing ourselves to live in the freedom and the truth of the resurrected life. This is a journey. To live in the power of resurrection. To live in the fire of God. You know, Brahman, I've told you this over and over. This, is, this month... April 2019 marks exactly 40 years ago when he and I started praying to Jesus. Now, we didn't know we'd become Christians. We didn't know we were saved. We didn't know what it meant to be saved. We wouldn't have known what we were saved from for a start. (laughs) But we started to pray to Jesus and our lives were turned upside down. And we have never stopped being like this. We have constantly lived in the presence of the fire of God. This is what God calls his people to live in. He wants us to live in this side of the cross. So what side of the cross are we living in, guys? What are, we, are we living in just the knowledge of it, the head knowledge of it? Are we living just in the mental ascent and the, and the theological, you know, well, everything adds up theologically and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and so yes, I believe. Or am I over here and I'm just like, oh, God, I love God with all my heart, therefore I'm known by God. And now that I'm known by God, I can be used powerfully by God. It's so simple, but it takes everything in us to live here. No more self-preservation. There's no self-preservation here. Peter lost all sense of self-preservation. The Spirit of God took it away from him. You DMS students, that's what happened to you last week. Do you get that? It's like you were stripped bare. You were ripped. It was ripped away from you, and it was like, wow, I feel like I'm alive for the first time. I feel like I'm starting to live. Is that right? It's like I'm starting to come up for air. I can, I can smell air. I can feel air. I can feel it coming into my spiritual lungs for the first time. It's starting to fill me up. And we crave it and we long for it. But what we've got to be careful is not to slip back to this side of just cerebral ascent, mental ascent to the, the power of the cross. Guys, we've got to experience it every day in our lives. So that's all I wanted to share this morning. A really simple thing of which side of the cross are we on? I know, technically speaking, you know, whatever, we're all, we're, we want to walk on this side, yeah? But experientially, it is too easy to come back over here. Hey, I've done it. Brahma and I both have done it. And when that happens, you bring yourself back over here and you drench yourself in the Word of God. You drench yourself by praying in the Spirit. You drench yourself by just worshipping and glorifying Him. Worship is the highest form of warfare because you're magnifying Him. That means to make Him bigger. It's like looking through God to God through a magnifying glass, seeing Him bigger than your problems. That's what it means to magnify God. But you've got to stay there. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's a diligence to read the Bible. I'm shocked by how many Christians, Brahman, I ask, are you reading your Bible? And they go, no, not really. Okay. Well, how are you feeding yourself? You know, we're, we're all responsible to feed ourselves. And when we do that, we stay on this side of the cross. Have an expectation for the risen life. There is more. There is more. But we have to pursue it. We have to desire it. We have to long for it. We have to keep the fire going. We have to stir one another up. I'm so excited when I hear about the worship night you you all had on, was it Friday night? Good Friday. Heard it was really amazing. Keep it going. Keep those nights going. 
We need a new generation of, of people who just are desperate for God. See, church is not an institution, guys. Church is not a brand. It's not a name. It's not a Melbourne life. It's not a building. It's not a coolness. It's not a anything. It's a group of people who really love God with all of their hearts and want to live that love out in the world. So, but let's live it in the resurrected life. Amen? All right. Music team, let's come. Let's sing Jesus, It Is You. And let's just, let's just thank him for the power of his resurrection in our lives. The Bible calls the fire that day the baptism of fire. And the word baptism or baptizo just means to be plunged into, to be immersed in, to be drenched in. And the Bible mentions mentions it several times, that that phrase, the baptism of fire, to be baptized with fire. In fact, Jesus promised that that would happen. And we have to ask ourselves, what fire do we want to hang around Sadly, it's, it's sad and it's tragic to watch people who I know love God at the core of their hearts and of their beings, but they live in that place of protecting themselves. But when the fire of God comes on, I tell you what, all those defense mechanisms come down. Isn't that true? Man, some of those testimonies, in fact, all the testimonies last Sunday, how amazing were they? All the self-preservation gone. Yeah, vulnerability, trans, transparency, honesty, authenticity. Isn't that what the world is craving for? Authenticity. We don't come to church to put on a, a pretend face and be like Peter around the campfire, trying to preserve our dignity or lack courage and just being open with who we really are. God doesn't call us people to that. He invites us. He invites us into a place where we live purely and solely by the power of His name and of His Spirit. That's why it's amazing. And it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. Woo! Come on. There is so much more. You know, I, I remember... 40 years and a few months ago. I remember what it was like to live on the other side of the cross. I remember I remember being a young girl growing up, a teenager, 18, 19 years old, meeting Brown, so insecure, so rejected and didn't know who I was, wasn't a public person, I was kind of an introvert and, you know, would go to parties back in Adelaide when I was 12, 13, 14 and all you did in the 70s was get drunk, that's all you did and be promiscuous and that's what I did. before Bram and I started following Jesus. I remember being so 
drunk and so paralytically drunk that I, on the way home, walking home to our house in Indonesia, to my family's house, that I threw up in someone's garden one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. I was, you know, not a happy person really. I wasn't really a very happy person. But when I met Jesus, <laughs> it wasn't in a church, remember? It wasn't through someone, whatever. It just, it, he invited us into a relationship with him. It was amazing. And I crossed that line and came to this side of the cross and pretty much I've lived there for most of my life. Every now and then I find myself going back to self-preservation. But you know what, guys? It's not worth it. It's so amazing to live free. I met the love of my life. It was Jesus. Yeah, Abraham came a close second, but Jesus was number one. Still is. And that love has never gone. And now... You know, I've experienced getting drunk in the spirit like those scriptures talk about so bad. I mean, I used to do it with alcohol badly. So when I do it with the Holy Spirit, it's bad. When I go down, I go down. I remember being carried out of meetings. Do you remember that? So drunk. But you know what? It's the most amazing experience to be touched by the Holy Spirit like that. But even more amazing than being touched by the Holy Spirit like that. It's just walking with Jesus and obeying him, hearing his voice, learning the nature of God and realizing that we can really trust him. We don't need to look for these mountain highs of experiences. Yeah, there will be, there will be plenty of valleys. Jesus promises us suffering. He actually promises us persecution. He promises us those things. And while the mountaintops of getting drunk in the spirit are incredible. In fact, even today as I preached, I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in my body. I feel my legs going underneath me. But it's, it's more about the reality and the truth of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit can do the same thing to you, but I'd rather you know the Word of God. I'd rather you start to walk solidly with truth, the person of the truth, you know. Jesus said in John chapter 7, I believe it is, he said to the religious leaders of the day, he said, you search the scriptures for truth, but they actually point to me. But basically you, you refuse to come to me. So we can know all this so-called truth, but never really know the person of the truth. I'd rather us be simple believers, wouldn't you? And just know how to walk with the person of the truth. Yeah? Is there anyone here today? Just while we're in this kind of atmosphere just before we close, is, is there anyone here who's never known Jesus that way? In fact, why don't we just close our eyes right now just so that people can kind of think for a second. If you've never really had a relationship with God or sort of followed Jesus or given him that place in your heart and your life, and you want to right now, just Slip your hand up. I'm not going to call you up the front or do anything embarrassing. Just indicate to me that you'd like to do that. If that's you, just put your hand up right now. If you want to have that relationship with Jesus and just have him take over your heart and take over your life and live on this side of the cross, if that's you this morning, just 
put your hand up and let me see. It will change your life forever. He will change your life. He gives us a new nature. He transforms our hearts. He transforms our homes, our marriages, our children, our families, everything. If that's you here this morning, just put your hand up and I'll pray for you. self-preservation, freedom from intimidation, freedom from all our insecurities and all the rubbish that we cart around in our lives, all the silliness and foolishness that we that we as individuals carry on with, Lord. You invite us into a life that's so much more liberated than that. So, Father, I ask now for, for every single one of us, whatever part of the journey we're on, Lord, keep us going, keep us moving forward. Keep us moving forward, Lord, with truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome.